And I immediately cut Tim Allen's the Santa Claus face into her boyfriend's face and send it back to her. There's, there's something wrong with you. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean, two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and trouser in his perfect hands. Here comes George in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington. Hello and welcome to another POTUS Life. My name is Ryan Markley. With me today is my longtime co-host, best friend, questionable lover, Justin Ozinga. What's up, bud? Howdy doody. Hey, howdy. So, should we recap? Uh, Google it or listen to it. You know, we're in New York. Washington is in New York. He yes. has been preparing for an assault. He has n- no fucking clue what the assault's going to look like. The British but, are going uh, to assault him, is yeah. what you mean. He knows that something is a coming. Something's brewing, you know? Yeah, he's up at uh, Broadway. And he just he's really watching those musicals. Keep in mind, last show, Knox delivers Washington a nice little gift. He's going to bring him some guns, big guns. Tons and tons of big guns. And they go ahead and fortify some some heights above Boston. Remember Boston? And the British fucking leave town. They're like, we're out. But basically, that kind of sets the scene for George to be really frightened because he doesn't actually know where the British are fucking trying to go. But he can pretty much assume that they're going to head straight to New York. Because the British have kind of been launching a little campaign of their own in New York trying to win the population over to their side, really get people to... Uh, the, the, the British are cool. They're cool. They're yeah, and they, they infiltrate George Washington's Magic Mike XXXL the bodyguard group, that, a.k.a. the Mitch Buchanan mm-hmm. lifeguards. Amen. Which is a real bummer, because... Those guys were hot, and they were going to give up George. Fucking assholes. And uh, pretty much brings us into episode 10. Welcome to episode 10. Today is, Today is March, March 24th. 24th. Amen. Hallelujah. We're a week out from St. Patty's Day. It is a nice 70 degrees in Cleveland, Ohio, where I am at. You want to know where I'm at, bud? Where where are you at? I'm in Austin, Tejas. So the attitude in London was that the columnists, they had no friggin' chance. GB, a.k.a. Great Britain, just had to swat the rebellion like an unwanted mosquito sucking the blood from your shoulder. One Lord Rawdon 
which I, I kind of like that name, Rawdon. Rawdon. But Lord Rawdon claimed, We shall soon have a way with these scoundrels, for one only dirties one's fingers by meddling with them. I do not imagine they can possibly last out beyond this campaign. Mm. What and a, yeah. What a dick. Sure. Sure. The British had a very large empire at this time. Was, yeah, it was fucking massive. The sun never sets on like the a British quarter, Empire. A quarter of the world was under their control, right? Like something to that that effect. Yeah. And it all comes from King Arthur. Because he pulled that sword from the stone and conquered the world. And now everything is ours. Yeah. So they had plenty of foes to guard against. But even so, they still had a far superior fighting force, far superior supplies. And they dispatched that to North America. And this is compared to the very green Continental Army. So it's not surprising that the Brits didn't take the rebel colonists too seriously. And here's where we stumble upon one of my favorite names, even better than Radon. (laughs) The first lord of the Admiralty was named Lord Sandwich. I have a sandwich. Lord Subway, Lord Sandwich. (laughs) Not Lord Jimmy John's, Lord Sandwich. (laughs) The Earl of Sandwich, would you say? And Lord Sandwich, (laughs) the Earl and best of the sandwiches, (laughs) the head of the Sandwich family, (laughs) scoffed at the idea that the American colonies had any spine. His view was that all the British had to do was punch him in the mouth, bloody their mouth a little bit, and they're going to give up. Easy peasy. Reese's Pieces. So a guy named Lord Sandwich calls them raw, undisciplined, cowardly men. And truth be told, Great Britain wasn't the superpower of infantry among European armies. The homeland is a big old island. What they, of course, have is a superior navy. The Royal Navy was badass. Oh, my God. Yeah, seriously. It was ridiculous. It's kind of like what the American Navy is now. Well, not even that. Well, but I think equivalently, it could be considered of the same proportion. Not even close. Explain. Explain. Well, the United States Navy could engage the world as the world map exists. Okay. The British Navy, the Royal Navy, it was a European Navy. Yeah. It was built and strategized. The strategery. There's some strategizer. I'm the strategizer. (laughs) Was for Europe. It was not for a vast coast. Yeah. I see see what you're saying, actually. The question is, and what we'll look at and see is, How does this translate with the New World? And more specifically, New York Harbor, where a proper assault is going to take a very large fleet to pull off. Oh, my. And in the last episode, Washington was trying to prepare New York City for the the arrival of a royal fleet. And he was Uh, not quite sure how that was going to fucking go down. He had no frigging clue what to do. (laughs) I get the rumblies. Uh-oh. Yeah, George had no clue what was going to happen with this royal fleet. He didn't know it was coming. 
And this is a, a difficult task for any commander. So Washington's lack of experience is really going to show here. The Royal Fleet is first spotted June 29th, 1776. And it's by his men on Staten Island that first I spy. I spy a bunch of ships. <laughs> George had put an emphasis on readiness for what it's worth. I don't know how you can be ready for something like this. And he uses basic common sense, something that basically means nothing. George sends the women and children out of the city, duh. He calls for the militia forces in New England, and he sends Martha to Philadelphia because he loved Martha. He's not stupid. Martha. Before she leaves, she hollers at George Wilson Peel and makes him do up a quick watercolor of George, which is just, to me, it just sounds so crazy. Like, like, I think that she was trying to J off on a picture of George. <laughs> Maybe. Like nowadays, we have it so easy. You can send a Snapchat of George's dick to Martha. Dicks everywhere. There's probably, a, there's probably a picture of me or two online. Do you think just that, being honest. that CW Peel made a, a dick pic of that Spanish flight and throb dick? <laughs> Charles Wilson Peel. We'll never know because somebody probably burned it in their but millionaire. What, but what if we could know, Justin? What if we could become like Nicolas Cage, treasure hunters, and we're going to you know, George travel. Washington's dicks on the back of the Declaration of Independence. <laughs> I'm going to steal the Constitution. <laughs> it's fun to think about. So George, George is... Uh, watercolored dick aside, the colonial force was ridiculously outnumbered and outgunned. And let me tell you, they were more outnumbered than the Rohirrim at Helm's Deep in The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> and Helm's Deep was a near impenetrable fortress. George desperately needs reinforcements before an assault begins. Altogether, the British are 30,000 soldiers strong. 17,000 of which were German mercenaries. This is literally the largest expeditionary force of the century. Literally? Literally, not figuratively. <laughs> Washington is going to need to give the most inspiring speech ever to rally his men. You know something? You hear something? I can. If you had told us one year ago that we were going to come in third in Iowa, give anything for that. And you know something? You know something? Not only are we going to New Hampshire, Tom Harkin, we're going Tom to South Harkin. Carolina and Oklahoma and Arizona and North Dakota and New Mexico. We're going to California and Texas and New York. And we're going to South Dakota and Oregon and Washington and Michigan. And then we're going to Washington, D.C. to take back the White House. So George gives the speech and all of his troops are like, what the fuck is North Dakota? So it's now June 7th, 1776. I'm so fascinated, Justin, that we have been at this fighting thing since April 1775 with those shots being fired at Lexington and Concord. And so many people were still feeding on that 
I quote, dainty food of reconciliation, as Washington would call it. I guess the legislator or the body that was able to make laws back then, even though the United States wasn't really a thing of old, is a lot like our current legislative body in the U.S. today. Slow to take appropriate action, waiting until the last fucking moment to make any cohesive or coherent decision. George was pretty happy to hear that during the June 7th congressional session, a gentleman named Richard Henry Lee introduced a resolution declaring, and I quote, that these united colonies are and of ought to be free and independent states. Note, he didn't declare a free and independent union, but multiple free states, which is kind of interesting, right? Considering where we are today with, I think, our federal government trying to balance federal power to state power, but really they're saying the federal government wants to collect a lot of taxes, and if the state would like anything, they should tax extra, and that's their burden, because the federal government is going to build them. We're going to build a big army. It's going to be huge. It's going to be lean. It's going to be great. You know? Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. (laughs) So, about a month later... George Washington was not, at the get-go, a federalist. No. Most, a lot of people... Okay, really we're not federalists, okay. We're not all federalists. Some of us great people. Some people I know <laughs> are federalists. But <laughs> So anyway, about a month later, on July 2nd, Congress approved Richard Henry Lee's resolution. And then they spend the next few days arguing over the exact wording of what is to become the official Declaration of Independence. And let's have a small sidebar for a moment. I just want to remind everyone that the Declaration of Independence was based off of a document that Washington's next-door neighbor, George Mason, wrote. The document was called the Declaration of Rights. One of the most glaring statements torn almost directly from the pages of the Declaration of Rights was, quoting, All men are born equally free and independent and have certain inherent natural rights among which are the enjoyment of life and liberty with the means of acquiring and possessing property and pursuing and obtaining happiness and safety, end quote. You know, that definitely sounds a lot like uh, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? Almost verbatim. So I find it interesting. Again, I kind of just wanted to visit George Mason again to talk specifically about how George was radicalized, right? We talked about this previously. George was not quick to move to wanting to push himself to be independent. He really loved Britain. He loved the fact that Robert and Carrie, at least, were sending him fancy things, although he sunk them into debt. But then, since he started kind of hanging out with people like George Mason, he became a little radicalized. So, literally what we consider our Declaration of Independence was built off of a framework that was laid by the guy who just so happened to live really close to George Washington and decided to kind of help him figure shit out. So I find that... Yeah, and I, I, think, we, I think we've mentioned that George Mason was not really a fan of the Declaration of Independence. No. And maybe he did it not had like the Declaration of like, Independence. Where is my royalty check? <laughs> This sounds a lot like something I wrote. On July 9th, George Washington 
gathers all of his men. And this time, you know what he says, Justin? What does he say? Less than an hour. Aircraft from here will join others from around the world. And you will be launching the largest aerial battle in the history of mankind. (laughs) Mankind, that word should have new meaning for all of us today. We can't be consumed by our petty differences anymore. We will be united in our common interests. Perhaps it's fate that today is the 4th of July. And you will once again be fighting for our freedom. Not from tyranny, oppression, or persecution. But from annihilation. (laughs) We're fighting for our right to live. To exist. The world will live on. The 4th of July will no longer be known as an American holiday. Hmm. But as the day when the world declared in one voice, we will not go quietly into the night. Amen. We will mm. not vanish without a fight. We're going to live on. We're going to survive. Today, we celebrate our Independence Day. I'm such a Randy Quaid freedom boner <laughs> right now. It's just a little, my pants are a little tight right now. Just a little tight. Freedom's full. <laughs> so, okay. So it wasn't July 4th that Washington read this, but yet, like I said, July 9th, Washington gathers all of his men. And this time he has a read aloud the Declaration of Independence. These were definitely exciting times if you were a patriot, right? They were probably also severely sobering. Um, We know Washington definitely understood that he was quite actively committing treason, having stated after the war that he and other patriots had fought with halters around their necks. So he very much knew, I'm uh, committing a little treason. Mm. Um. Had he met the unfortunate fate of being captured by the British, he would have certainly faced hanging for treason. However, with the release of this official Declaration of Independence, the punishment would have gotten pretty severe. You see, recently yeah, a judge... Kind of what? Very much like George Bluth Sr.'s light treason. <laughs> However... With the release of this official Declaration of Independence, the punishment would have gotten pretty severe. You see, recently a judge had sentenced two Irish revolutionaries to a pretty horrible death. The revolutionaries were going to be hung, but not quite until death. Right before the men were going to expire from being strangled to death, they were to be lowered, have their bowels removed, Whilst still alive and very much watching what was going on, have them set on fire and left this way until death. Then, once dead, their heads were going to be cut off and their bodies were going to be cut into four pieces. Like, shit, dude. (laughs) I don't know many people that cut shit into four pieces, (laughs) but... Yeah, that kind of sucks. That's kind of 
yeah, that's kind of a shitty way to die. And then they took they took like their ISIS heads. is a bunch of pussies, right? Compared, yeah, definitely compared to what the British were willing to do. Uh, Just to George let that Washington. sink into your like paranoid American mind. ISIS is a bunch of pussies compared to the British? Uh, question mark? Question mark? Well, we know that Washington was a badass, right? So he decided pretty early on that if he was captured, he would not ask for mercy or favor from the king. But he had some plans in his back pocket in case the shit went south, right? Washington owned some property in the Ohio country. And he had this interesting idea of retiring there if the English were victorious. I'm not sure George really thought this whole one through. I mean, the British would definitely hunt him down, right? So Ohio isn't like worlds away from where the British are now. With the British in Canada and all along the East Coast, there was no real place for Washington to run. I would imagine that before too long, the British, if victorious would eventually have at least a desire, if not a financial need, to push over the Appalachian Mountains into the Ohio country. There was a lot of good pelt, fertile land, various other resources in those mountain areas. I mean, I'm not really certain that he has a good place to go hide. He's like, if I don't win, as a gentleman, I'll just go hide in the mountains and no one's going to bother me. I can't imagine that that would have actually happened for him. I just think it's funny that that's where he was kind of going with it. Like, he had plans to just go to Ohio and hang out until he died. Well, his grandfather was, you know, the destroyer of villages <laughs> among the Indians. The so they probably would have hit him. Definitely. Anyway, on a more joyful note, the Patriot soldiers were Pretty fucking stoked once they heard that independence was officially being declared. Chernot tells an account of how upon hearing the news, the men gave three hurrahs, hurrahs, and then went into town, pushed over a pretty big statue of King George III, decapitated it, then paraded the head all around town. Interestingly enough, this happened in a place called Bowling Green. So perhaps this is the Bowling Green Massacre that Kellyanne Conway was talking about. See, people just don't understand. They're not... These critics are not sophisticated enough. <laughs> they don't understand know. the joke. She meant that King George III had been decapitated, well, his statue at least, and drug around town. It's You just don't get the joke. You don't get the joke. You don't get the Saddam <laughs> treatment for nothing. <laughs> and you better, but like, you better believe that the latter behavior caused George to get all fucking pissed off. Believe it or not, like dragging a head of your enemy around town got the commander upset. That's kind of weird. But he gets all pissed off and goes on a rant about how this was not proper behavior for a trained military. He also lets the men know if this happens next time, he would leave the men to the care of the proper authorities. But like... <laughs> Uh, okay. 
The, the social- proper authorities <laughs> tried to get you assassinated and sell you or sell you to <laughs> the British. Uh, right. From like, your own Mitch Buchanan lifeguard. Like he tell he tells him like next time, next time this happens, I'm just gonna the cops will take care of you. Like Dude, this is like <laughs> Ghostbusters 2, and it's a bunch of bullshit. It's so much bullshit. Like, exactly. Who the hell is actually going to stop them? At least they weren't swimming naked in the local rivers and dancing naked around women like they were in the past, right? Like, they're moving forward. This is a pretty big upgrade. Also, they used the lead in this statue to produce 4,200, I mean, sorry, 42,000 musket balls, which is pretty awesome, right? Which is totally a fucking moment from the horrible Mel Gibson movie, The Patriot, that we have definitely mentioned before. It's not a horrible movie. It is a horrible movie. It is a great movie. And I thought the same thing about the... He was melting down British... They killed my son. soldiers. They killed my son. <sighs> so good. Such a great movie. That okay. movie is so much fun to watch. Okay, no, it's fun to watch, but... Totally historically inaccurate. Like, that's not what happened. A great John Williams score. <laughs> we free men. We free men. He makes it, I love how he totally polishes, like, all the corners until they're completely rounded about, like, uh, slavery, blacks' involvements in the military. Uh, we were really the good French. people. <laughs> we were, yeah. We were really good people. Everyone loved us. Everyone loved us. Heath uh, Ledger was hot in that thing, though. Oh, I will tell you what I, he, he was. Oh, I miss him. Anyway, I would like to point out here that the real reason Washington was concerned about all this behavior, his men going into town and just acting like fucking heathens, specifically if you were a British loyalist, they would just fucking go into your shit fuck it all up, love it the whole time. He didn't want to create bad blood between his Patriot military force and the people they had sworn to protect. But more precisely, he didn't want to offend the rich white property owners who were funding his endeavors, right? His friends. (laughs) Yeah. Hey, sorry, guys. Uh, The boys got a little wild last night. I, I hope that's okay. You know, I mean... You know, it's like a uh, we we melted we, we melted the statue, but I mean, but we made forty two thousand musket balls from it. It's totally gonna be fine. I mean, but seriously though, imagine if every town that George went in, the men raped, pillaged, and looted all they wanted. They would never win the approval and the support of those people. This war was so much a less of war of military strength and more a war of ideology, right? Oh, it sounds a lot like ISIS. Uh, we better bomb them. Awkward. Uh-oh. <laughs> um, it was perfect timing. That the thing whole- about is 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 they're very scary. is 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 It was a perfect timing for this whole independence thing to go down the way it did, when it did. It gave Washington the mental boost 
he would need to handle what was about to fucking go down next. Around noon on July 12th, a breeze picked up in the New York Harbor, and five British ships pushed their way into the Hudson River. This marked the beginning of the end for New York. Not only were Sounds the sh- like a really great Jay-Z comeback music video. <laughs> Just Jay-Z with a Yankees hat on, on the bow of a British ship. Oh, just gives me, gives me goose gives skin. Me the, gives me the goose pimples. So, not only were five fucking massive ships about to pass unharmed into the Hudson River past New York, they were able to successfully strike Manhattan and New Jersey. They harassed the residents there, and then they disappeared. The British were testing the strength of the defenses in the New York area, and the Patriots fucking miserably failed that test. Hey, hey, yo, I got 99 problems with the British ain't one. No, the British were fucking one. <laughs> that, might, that, was, that was bad. I'm going to take that out. And I'll put that right back in. Anyway. She called the Becky good hair, but the British got wigs. <laughs> Becky with the good hair, British got wigs. <laughs> God, uh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> so anyway, now that these ships were in the Hudson, communication between New York and the rest of the colonies was essentially severed. The British would harass any boat that attempted to cross. So pretty much eh, New York was kind of on its own at that point. Things weren't looking good for George and his fellow patriots. To make matters worse, late in the evening, cheers could be heard coming from the British ships, as well as from Staten Island, where the British had established a camp. Admiral Richard Howe, the man in charge of the British naval fleet, had arrived on the scene. And you know them Howe boys... No matter what Jay-Z tells you, are now the villains of the George Washington story. I, I was they, I was ready for us to get to a, a climax. Oh, they're gonna climax. <laughs> they remind me of the Winklevoss twins as they were portrayed in the movie Social Media. And these were some of the blue the most blue-blooded brothers. Quite literally, friends of King George himself. General William Howe was a dude of vices, unlike Washington. Oh, yes. Bill Howe, some called him Billy. Billy. Was going to need a bottom bitch during his efforts to put down this rebellion. (laughs) He chooses a married lady. How dare you, you Christian bastard. (laughs) A Bostonian named Elizabeth Lloyd Loring. So Bill makes her husband a commissionary of prisoners. I like how Chernow describes the ordeal. Quote, this opportunistic husband content to being cuckolded. Oh my. He's a cuck. <laughs> so let me, let me rephrase this. This opportunistic husband is a cuck and he played bod for his wife who became notorious as the 
Sultana of the British Army. The other Winklevoss twin, Admiral Richard Howe, wasn't quite the playboy Bill was. His name, instead, was Black Dick, because (laughs) it was huge. Good old Black Dick. There is no cuck to speak of for Black Dick. (laughs) You don't need one. (laughs) At this early stage, the Winklevoss brothers were planning on putting down the rebellion by using some force and using some political games. Oh my, how much force? Oh, as much as a black dick can kiss you. When you have a black dick, you're pretty confident that you can retain (laughs) Facebook (laughs) just as it were. Uh. They get to thinking, let's send George a letter and see if we can talk some sense into him. Let's parlay. So, a boat with such a parlay letter heads for Manhattan and gets stopped by colonials. They're like, hey, uh, what you doing out here, British boat? A letter? A letter for who? George Washington? Eh, never heard of him. There's a general, Washington. But here, there's no letter addressed to a general. So, fuck off. They turn the boat around. Etc. 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 It's just light treason. So the Winklevoss <laughs> twins are like, we can't address him <laughs> as the creator of Facebook <laughs> because that means he's the creator of Facebook. <laughs> so they send the letter out again, still addressed to George Washington. And the letter gets turned around again. They say, uh uh-uh. uh, no, no. We don't know who that I, is. Yeah. So these sexy twins are like, what the fuck? The third time they address it to His Excellency. Oh, there it is. George Washington. The key fits in the door. There it is. They're being smart asses. But Washington accepts the letter, reads it, and agrees to meet with a Colonel Patterson. <laughs> Ever the lover of theatrics. Washington takes the opportunity to put his favorite uniform on. Oh, yeah. And put on a show. In turn, Patterson began his sentences with, May it please your excellency, or, If your excellency so pleases. Oh, sir, yes, if you don't mind. Yeah, and Patterson, he probably wanted to roll his eyes every time he said this kind of shit. But he couldn't because he was an official Diplomat. The man had a job to do, and he he wanted to return to the Winklevoss twins with <laughs> some pleasing results. But Washington knew that it was too late to appease the unhappy colonists with promises of this and that. The revolution was on. He remains polite to Patterson, but sends him back empty-handed. So, Justin, something that I've actually kind of thought about is this. You would have to assume, I, I don't I don't know, I was just thinking about this as we, I was kind of doing some research about the Howe brothers, how much the crown trusted them. They were leading this massive group of people, both on land and in the sea, against a whole foreign army. The king had to trust them 
a lot, right? Because they could pretty much fucking do whatever they wanted. I mean, yes, they had a certain directive from Britain, but shit could have gotten weird. I mean, these guys could pretty much do whatever they wanted because they commanded this massive force of people. I don't know. Yeah, just, it was. It would be kind of like if the president of the United States was good friends with Gary Busey and Brett Michaels <laughs> and decided to give them, you know, a bunch of responsibility in a fake corporation on a reality television show. <laughs> that would be weird, right? A little bit. A little bit. So it would turn out to be a miserable summer for the troops. Knox sent a letter to his wife stating that, quote, from breakfast to dinner, I am boiling in the sun hot enough to roast an egg. Although, like we have said before, he weighed almost 300 pounds. So maybe that had something to do with it too. But the point is, the summer heat was being turned up on an army that had already been completely stressed and fatigued. Summer brought more than just heat to the battlefield. The diseases that could present major problems to a soldiery were in full swing during the summer months. Not to mention that the age-old problem of soldiers shitting in open pits located entirely too close to water sources... Uh-oh... Mm, we're shitting too close to the water. Well, we the call young, that India now. Uh, yeah. Uh-oh. Well, I shouldn't say that. <laughs> Parts of India. Fair. And Africa. Anyway. And the Middle East. <laughs> and West Virginia. <laughs> Summer brought more than just heat to the battlefield. The diseases that could present major problems to a soldiery were in full swing during the summer months. Not to mention that age-old problem of, you know, soldiers shitting in open pits located entirely too close to their water sources. Well, the young Nathaniel Green, mm, heartthrob, one of George's most trusted generals, has an idea that might help keep the men healthy. He recommends that George alter the diet of the men. Instead of eating meals that were heavy in the meats department, like Ron Swanson perhaps might prefer, I think you may have misheard me and said a lot of the meats that you have, but I meant all of the meats. And that's basically what the soldiers were eating, just a shit ton of meat they could get their hands on, squirrels, deer, yeah, anything you can roast up. I'm sure they were fucking roasting some cats up in there. Like, anything they could find. We're going to eat it. Anyway, Nathaniel Green recommends that George alter the diet of the men. Instead of eating meals that were heavy in the meats department, like I said, he figured the men would be better nourished and able to stave off illness like malaria, yellow fever, smallpox, typhoid, and George's favorite, dysentery. If they ate a diet that consisted mostly of fresh vegetables, right? Like they were not eating the veggies. They were, you know, eating a lot of meats, the meat sweats. I kind of think it's ironic that Green was all about eating nourishing foods and trying to improve the health of the troops. So earlier in the year, he had come down with a case of jaundice. 
and right after being appointed commander of the American forces on Long Island in August, Green sent a report to Washington stating that he had come down with a really bad fever and could not even manage to sit up. So, you know, that really sucked for him. However, Green was not the only one promoted in August. He was actually only one of four. Congress added, at Washington's request, might I add, William Heath, Joseph Spencer, and John Sullivan, as well as Green. Washington, upon getting the news that Green was gravely ill, sent in the newly minted Major General John Sullivan. And let me tell you, Justin, this guy was a real piece of work, and I assume that we will definitely go into further detail on him a little later. He was the son of an Irish indentured servant, a.k.a. white slaves. He was known to have wild hair, a fiery nature, a massive ego. But, you know, he was a lawyer, so yeah. Anyway, John Sullivan, kind of a dick, but Washington liked him. He noted that Sullivan was, quote, spirited and zealously attached to the cause. He also noted that he suffered from, quote, a tincture of vanity and an unhealthy desire of being popular. And if you recall, Washington was not really into people who desired popularity, which is ironic. And specifically, he didn't want his officers to go out and search for this popularity. It's interesting to think that so many of the generals that George would surround himself with just a few years prior had nothing to do with a proper standing army. These people were learning on the fly, uh, kind of like George was doing in the wilderness of the Ohio country when he found himself in Fort Necessity. And we remember how that turned out. Not very good. Not very good. Uh-oh. Nonetheless, these men were now real generals, and they were up against the largest, most trained, most equipped, most financed army in the whole world. Meanwhile, Henry Knox, a Washington fan to say the least, remember? Oh, your your excellency. Oh, I love you. I love you. Was writing, he was worried that the Continental Army didn't have the numbers it would need to resist any formidable attacks. So Joseph Reed, a man we'll definitely cover in more detail later, was a big fan of the Fabian War strategy, right? A war of post. We talked about this on the Piercing Paragons episode. War of post. The war of post. The idea, as he put it, was to, quote, prolong, procrastinate, and avoid any general action, or indeed any action, unless we have great advantages. This strategy would allow the colonial forces to remain intact and, as Chernot put it, invite the British to attack at their peril. At this time, the British were fighting another type of war entirely, which I actually find incredibly interesting. Washington was worried about troop numbers, gunpowder, money, and winning the hearts of the people in the colonies to the patriotic cause. The British were basically just worried about the latter. They were very much trying to regain the loyalty of the people in the colonies, specifically the people in New York. 
Hal knew that if he could establish a footing in New York and command his operations from there, he would later be able to launch attacks against the seaports up and down the Atlantic coast. He knew that if he controlled the seaports, he could strangle the patriotic force to death. Give it a little, like, the force just gripping around that throat. Like, you don't even have to touch it. Like, it's just, like, strangling them from afar, not allowing anything to come in there. Just... He finds your lack of king disturbing. (laughs) And And they basically didn't want to have to engage in any large military battles. Keep in mind, the Americas were a very lucrative business for the British. Overall, they desired to regain control of the area and reestablish commerce and trade. So they didn't want to fully decimate the colonists. They just wanted to teach them a lesson. Spank their buns a little bit. Just spank it. Like the man caught poaching on Washington's territory. Exactly. They wanted to spank them into submission. And at this point, Justin... With all this heat being turned up on the Americas, I know you're asking yourself. You're asking the important questions like, how were they dressed? What kind of weapons were they preparing to fight with? Well, Justin, I have some answers for you. In the heat of summer and with a major lack of funding for proper uniforms that we... They didn't have Cintas. We definitely know Mr. Fancy Pants, George Washington, desperately desired some nice uniforms, right? Like, he wanted the uniforms. Washington would instruct his men to wear hunting shirts. Uh, And think about this. So they lacked uniforms. So George Washington's like, wear this white shirt that you go hunting in. Now, this does seem a little odd, but there was definitely a little method to the madness. Imagine how you would feel as a highly trained British regular if you encountered a bunch of hillbillies in the woods wearing hunting attire. It would be a little shocking and almost entirely disarming. At least that is to me anyway. However, George wanted to project a sense that his men were highly trained marksmen trained hunters which makes sense i guess right yeah Yeah. very much like last of the mohicans kind of shit if you look like you're legit you will be legit so as far as in the weapons department at this point washington was still dealing with a pretty big weapons shortage instead of following the advice of old benji franklin with the bows and arrows what does he do he hands out he hands out stabby sticks. He hands out some spears to the men. So this is probably a good place to wrap up, Justin. I think we're we're pretty done for the evening. Yeah, yeah in the next episode, we're really gonna dive into the assault on New York. Which is and actually I, I like some pretty it. cool shit. Yeah, no, it's cool shit. So thank you for listening to POTUS Life. You know, leave us some reviews on iTunes, please. If you like our show, go to iTunes. Oh, also, if all of this really confused you, this is an episodic podcast. Go back and listen to the fucking first episode. What are you doing? Why would you do that?
Why? Go listen to the first episode. Haven't you ever heard of cereal? Start from the beginning. We'll get How do you here. know you if can't Adnan just, is you can't just guilty start or not? At Bo Bergdahl in the middle of the story. You got to go to the beginning. You got to know what happened. Although I actually am excited about Adnan Saeed. I kind of want to know more. So excited. Anyway. We are going to be in Washington, D.C. at the end of April, the last weekend of April. And if you can't figure out which dates those are, then I don't want any part of you. I don't want anything to do with you. So contact us at... Contact at POTUS.life. And maybe we'll tell you where we're at. It's going to be... You're going. There's a secret handshake. There's Please, a don't Please don't be is Please don't be is and uh, uh, do you have any recommendations for for anything me yeah i have no recommendations i recommend uh wendy's spicy chicken sandwich and I, uh, i've been recently listening to a podcast called crime town which is about providence rhode island oh and it's organized crime which is pretty interesting because i never saw Rhode Island or Providence as a place for the mob. I may have to check that out, actually. It's pretty good. You know, I do have a recommendation, actually. Justin, my recommendation would be, if you have listened to our podcast and you like it, I think that you might like a guy by the name of Cameron Riley and Ray Harris, perhaps. They do a Cold War podcast. They do the life of Caesar. They do the life of Alexander, Augustus. You could also check out, for shits and giggles, the Napoleon podcast. Also very good. Cameron Riley, Sergey David Markham. Awesome stuff. Kind of got me to where I am right now doing some podcasting. So look up to those guys a lot. Also, And like- also in porn, Ray Harris. Oh, he's a 10. Ray for oh. porn searches. Oh, Ray Harris is a 10. He's more like a 11 and a half. Take it to 11. I would also like to give a shout out to a gentleman by the name of Hans Jurgens. Hans provides certain libations for this podcast. Without him, my side of the podcast would not be available. So I would just like to shout out to Hans Jurgens. Very cool. Sounds like a not real name, but is a real name. And his wife's also really cool as well. And he has some cool kids. So, big fan. Anyway, thank you, Hans. All right, that's it. That's all I got. Goodbye. Washington, Washington, six foot eight weighs a fucking ton. Opponents beware, opponents beware. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Let me lay it on the line, he had two on the vine. I mean, two sets of testicles, so divine. On a horse made of crystal, he patrolled the land with the mason ring and trouser in his perfect hands. Here comes George, in control. Women dug his snuff and his gallant stroll. Eight opponents' brains. And invented cocaine. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Washington.